0: service, right? So it's all about experience on Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit comes and we know that the Holy Spirit was there because Sunday morning was unpredictable or the worship service was unpredictable, exciting. We didn't know what time worship began and ended because the point is we need the fire to make things exciting and so that's why the Holy Spirit comes. That's some of the thinking, why the Holy Spirit empowers us. Still others believe that the Spirit empowers a person or a man so that that man is called the Lord's anointed and therefore he is seen as something great. As soon as someone is called the M.O.G., the man of God, and he's anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, now this person is something great and he's exalted above the rest of us plebs. And you can't touch him. You can't criticize him, he can't do anything wrong because he is powerful in the Spirit. See, these are some ideas that South Africans have regarding the purpose of Spirit empowerment. Let me tell you right off the bat, all of these are wrong. The Bible gives us a very different but clear vision for empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Throughout the New Testament, The Spirit's empowering of anyone whose name is not Jesus Christ is simply for the purpose of service. And of course, if your name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, or if you are in the Old Testament and you are a type of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, your empowering by the Holy Spirit has a lot more to it. But if you're not Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit gives you gifts simply and exclusively for the purpose of service. Contrary to those who believe that one is empowered by the Spirit is to be exalted, in the New Testament, it is actually the exact opposite. It is so that they can serve and wash the feet. Contrary to those who believe that the Spirit comes and empowers people and causes unpredictable chaos on a Sunday morning, such that we don't know what time the service is beginning, what we see in the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit empowers people So that there can be order because God is the God of order. See friends, if you're empowered, if you are gifted by the Spirit for any work, it is so that God's people can benefit and God can be exalted in their hearts, not you. The text in front of us really thrusts this reality into our faces in a very fresh way. The missionaries that we've been following, Paul and Barnabas, are being tempted here with an exaltation because of the Spirit's empowerment in their lives. They are being tempted to become something. They are being called something, but they respond in a way that we should all respond. They they become an example for us in the way that they respond. They say that they are not only men, but not only do they say that they are not only men, but they show us by their actions, that they are indeed servants. So we're going to look at this text under two simple headings. Heading number one, not deities. Heading number two, servants. Look with me from verse 8 of Acts chapter 14. And in Lystra, a certain man was sitting powerless in his feet, lame from birth, who had never walked, this man while Paul was This man listened while Paul was speaking. Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices in the Lyconian language, saying, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because Paul was the principal speaker. And the priest of the temple of Zeus uh, that was just outside the city brought bulls and garlands to the gates and was wanting to offer sacrifice to them along with the crowds But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard about it, they tore their clothing and rushed out into the crowd, shouting and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you, proclaiming the good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them. Who in generations that are past allowed all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness by doing good to you, giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying you with food and your hearts with gladness. And although they said these things, only with difficulty did they dissuade the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the city, and on the next day he departed with Barnabas for Derb. This is the reading of God's word. Last week we left the apostles after they had uh, kicked them out of Iconium. You remember, so they were, they they went, they 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 left Antioch. They travelled to Cyprus. They preached there at the synagogue, and they were later kicked out. And then they travelled to Pisidian Antioch. They preached at the synagogue, and crowds came. And then they were later kicked out. Then they went to Iconium. They preached in the synagogue, and then elsewhere. And then they were later kicked out. And so. Now we're finding them here um, in, uh, in, uh, at Lystra. Now, what, uh, here at Lystra, what we're seeing is that there's no sizable Jewish uh, people, no sizable Jewish congregation. This is purely a pagan place. There is no synagogue here because, you, we, as we've seen, whenever they arrived in a city, they arrive and they preach first in the synagogue. And then they go to the, to the Gentiles after they preach to the, to the Jews first. And they even explained to us, they're thinking about that last week, that the gospel goes first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But when they arrive here, they arrive here and there's clearly no Jewish population to speak of because they get there and they preach immediately to Gentiles. And this information is important because this is the first place where the evangelism from the missionaries has entirely to do with pagans. You understand what I mean by pagans? Pagans that is people who who have no connection with the Israelite God, people who worship other gods. And here we'll see even a message that is not just Jewish. This entire time we've been hearing a Jewish message, a Jewish me- message about Christ as the Messiah to the Jews, but here we're going to see a message that is general to all the world, to people who are not who have no connection to Yahweh, to the to, to the Jewish religion. So, what happens when they arrive at Lystra? Well, they arrive at Lystra and we're not told for how long they're preaching and where exactly they're preaching, but it's clearly a public place uh, because, and because the, where the main event happens is that they are preaching and there is a man who is lame from birth. And this man has never walked in his life. And this reminds us, of course, Um, In Luke's writing, this reminds us of the man that the Lord Jesus dealt with in Luke chapter 5, if you remember that, where the Lord Jesus heals the paralytic. and It also reminds us of the man we saw all the way back, probably in 2021, in Acts chapter 3. The man that Peter and John healed, uh, who had also, Luke writes almost word for word, he writes word for word, he says, he was also lame from birth. And similarly to those accounts, this man was well known in the city as being lame, such that his healing causes a huge commotion in the city. There's a huge opera in the city. Well, this man is listening to Paul preaching, and he's listening intently at him, and he is believing the message that Paul and Barnabas are preaching. And of course, you, you remember, you do know what message that Paul and Barnabas are preaching. They're preaching about Jesus Christ who's resurrected from the dead. And so he's looking at him, he's looking at them preaching this message, and he's believing this message. And Paul looks at him, seeing that he has faith to be healed, tells him to stand up on his feet. And the the healing, pretty much like we've seen in the Gospels and in Acts, the healing of this man is instant and complete. You see that? It's instant. He stands up immediately. There is no trickery here, right? There are are no cameras here. There are no, your leg is shorter than the other. Let me lengthen it here. None of that funny business. This is an actual, true, real, verifiable miracle that the pagans saw and they felt they had to interpret in some way. That's the proof of the miracle that the, the pagans could not just see this, oh, okay, and then continue with their lives. Because this man was probably lame, standing there, probably begging in the middle of the city. Uh, and of course, when you hear these cities, the cities are not like, you know, four million people like Johannesburg. This is a city with hundreds of thousands of people. And so the people generally have, must have passed by this man and have known him. And the weight of the miracle, the, the sheer force and strength of the miracle is undergirded by the commotion that follows. The people, we could just say, they lose their minds. The people can't handle this. This is amazing. Never seen something like this and they lose their minds at what they're seeing. This man, we know him. He's been begging his entire life. He's never walked and at a word from this guy, he stands up and he walks. You know, it's, we could quickly pass by this because, of course, you know, we've been seeing miracles in Acts. We kind of see miracles a lot in Acts. And sometimes, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm like, how am I going to bring this to us again in a fresh way uh, to hit us again? Because uh, it, it, it becomes, you know, it's like when you're seeing a beautiful mountain and you keep seeing it, you keep seeing it, it becomes normal to you. But really, you have to think about this. This man has never walked. And this man has been sold lies by all kinds of pagans and probably all kinds of black magicians. Sorry, black magic practitioners. I didn't mean to say black magicians. That did not go well. I nearly got canceled. No. Black magic people. No. Lose your job, just like that. Right. <laughs> um, no, so this guy has probably been, has been sold a whole bunch of stuff. There's been people saying all kinds of doing, all kinds of different things to this guy. And here he is at the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This man is healed immediately. This, this standing up of the man is really a picture, a wholesome pe- picture of what happens When somebody believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is real healing that happens. So sometimes we have to see the sign to believe the reality. But the reality is much more glorious than the sign. The reality is this. You are dead. Not only in your feet, but in your life. You are dead. You are unalive. Completely. you've You've had an existence that's not been real. Watching watching as life continues life happens and you're not you're not connected to life and then jesus christ comes and says stand up and you come alive those of you who are in christ never forget that what this sign is that you have been woken up and those of you who are not in christ i am telling you now your condition is worse than this man Because while you think you're alive, you're really not living. You're watching life pass you by. You're like a beggar without real life in you, wishing to stand up. And only Christ can stand you up. Only at the preaching of his gospel can you have life. Well, let's think about the response of the crowd. And it's interesting, just in general, when you think of the responses of the crowds, whenever we see, particularly when we see these, um, these, th- these miracles of these men who have, who, have been, who have been lame and haven't walked. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, when Christ heals the paralytic, the, the, the Jews are astonished and now are forced to take Christ seriously when he says that he can truly forgive sins when he heals the paralytic. You remember the purpose of him healing the paralytic? They brought down the paralytic, and the Lord Jesus saw that they had faith in him, and in the need to proclaim, your sins are forgiven. And then they were like, "What? what who, who, who only but God can forgive sins? And then Jesus says, so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins, let me do the miracle that you can see, so that you can believe me when I say, I can do the miracle that you cannot see. And then he heals the man. His purpose wasn't really to heal the man. His purpose was to save the man. But he wanted to show the crowds that he's able to heal, to to save the man by healing his physical body. Same thing, similar thing happened in Acts chapter 3. The Jews in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John heal the lame man, they are astonished. The people are astonished. But the leaders can't take it, and they take Peter and John, and they put them in barracks, and then they beat them up a little bit, and they come and they bring him up for a trial. And they say to by what authority are you doing this? It's always interesting to watch the, the response of the people when there is this kind of healing. So what, what, what's, what kind of response are we gonna get from the pagans? How do the pagans respond? The pagans, here at Lystra, See what is happening, and they interpret it in accordance with their own mythologies. So they're not Jews; they don't have any Jewish understanding of what could be happening. They just have their own mythologies. And what we know about what these people believed is this: that these people believed in the what is called the traditional Greek gods—Zeus. You'll have, have heard of them. You've seen them in movies, etc. Uh, Greek mythology: Zeus, Hermes, Poseidon, etc. And in their religion, uh, the Greek gods live on Mount Olympus, where they ruled the affairs of men. And they were known, and this is, this is the key part for our, for our passage today, these Greek gods, in their traditions and in their mythologies, were known to sometimes interact with humans in different forms. They'll sometimes come as a goat. Sometimes come as some kind of animal. They'll sometimes come down in some kind of, in some human form, but they will always interact with they will interact with humans in certain ways. And in particular, uh, one writer of these mythologies uh, called Ovid, he records that Zeus, who is the king of the gods, and Hermes, who is the god of speech, had one time come down, had dinner with a couple. And then that couple did not know that the gods had come down to eat with them, and then disasters followed that. So the, the, the gods had come down, Zeus and Hermes, they came down, they had dinner with the couple, the couple did not honor them as gods, they did not do anything, and then disaster came because you did not honor your gods. So they assume that this miracle is being done by their gods, and Paul has to be Hermes because Paul speaks more, and Barnabas is then Zeus. So they make preparation to ensure that they do not come, they do not get the destruction that followed that couple. They make preparations and say, "Let's worship you. We are recognizing you have shown us that you are here, our gods, Zeus and Hermes. We know that you are here, so we're going to make sure that we worship you." And this process of trying to worship them takes considerable time, because even the priest brings a a bull, brings bulls for the offering. And he also brings garments, garlands to bring to the, to the gods. And the reason that it takes so long, such a long time, before the apostles understand what is happening, is because of what Luke says there. They are shouting and saying all these things in, in the Lyconian language. So the apostles don't understand what's happening. It takes some time for the apostles to figure out, wait a second, these people, these people, while these people are screaming, they actually want to worship us. It's only when they, they see the, 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 the priest come with, with, uh, with the bull and they see that, wait a second, this, these people are about to sacrifice to us that they catch on and they try to stop what is happening. It's when they see that we, we are being worshipped that, they, that they, they catch on. Now, let me ask you this. That's the, that's the interpretation by these pagans. These pagans are interpreting this whole event, what, what, this healing of this man, using their own mythologies. Let me ask you if, you, if you had seen this great miracle, how would you have interpreted what is happening? Think about this. Using your mythologies or your traditions or the stories of your people, think about your people, where you come from. How would your people have responded to what they have just seen? How would they have interpreted it? Think with me. What would a Western person who is educated at wits or UCT, what would they say is happening here if they would seen this miracle? What would they say is happening? You could imagine that they could say, no, 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 there must be some kind of scientific explanation for what's happening here. I need some proof, something, something, something's happened here, some, some kind of scientific thing, there's some kind of trickery happening here, I need to see this guy's birth certificate, I need to see his doctor's notes, from when he was young, is it truly lame? There's something that's happened here. See, that's what the Western intellectual would have tried to tell us. If you, if you put the Western intellectual, he would have said to us, no, this is not, this is not real. Something, something else happened here. Okay, What would a pedi, a pedi person from Limpopo, <laughs> what would he have said when he's seeing this? Okay, that's the Western intellectual. What about the pedis from Limpopo? What would they have said? They might have become afraid of the apostles because they would have, they immediately would have, would have thought, this, these two men are using black magic. They may just get away from them. We are lawyer. They would have just ran away from them and said, I'm, I'm, I don't want nothing to do with these people. These people are using some kind of magic. They would have believed it, but they'd have thought it's dark powers, some kind of powers coming from some mountain somewhere. I want nothing to do with this. What would a Pentecostal person, what would they have thought is happening here? Well, they would have seen that, yes, these men are the men of God, the Lord's anointed, and we should seek and ask these men to bless us and call all the blessings of prosperity and health upon us because these are the men of God. These are the men of God. These men, we need to give them all of our money. We need to, what do they need? What do do you need? Do you need a Mercedes? Let's give it to you. And then come and bless us and, and, and speak, speak powerful blessing on us because that, you are clearly the men of God. They would have believed the miracle, but they would have interpreted it using their system of thinking. All of these people are wrong. The only person who would interpret this correctly is the believing Jew. Because the believing Jew understands that miracles and signs point to the work of God. So, the correct interpretation here is that what Paul and Barnabas are preaching is true. That's it. That's the correct interpretation of what is happening. The correct interpretation is this, that what Paul and Barnabas are saying with their mouths is actually the truth. And what is it that Paul and Barnabas are saying with their mouths? They're saying that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the king of the world. They're saying that Jesus Christ of Nazareth has been resurrected from the dead. They're saying that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is going to come and judge everyone, including Listerans. And so to authenticate that message and to show that that message is true, God gives this miracle. This empowering of the Holy Spirit has nothing really to do with Paul and Barnabas in one sense. It has everything to do with the message that Paul and Barnabas are saying. That's the only correct interpretation here. See, friends, everybody is going to come and interpret what what they've seen here with their own traditional lens, and all of those people would have been wrong if they did not give the interpretation that I've just said from the believing Jew. It is crucial, therefore, friends, for you and me to have a biblically faithful worldview, Why is it that I'm singling out the the believing Jew as the only person who can interpret this thing correctly? Why? Is there something special with the Jews? Is there something to do with their minds? Are they wiser than everybody else? No. It's because of what the Apostle Paul says. The oracles of God have been given to them. God has given His self-revelation to the Jews first. God has spoken. He has revealed Everybody else, in one sense, is dealing with natural revelation, things that you're seeing and trying to make sense of it. But it is only through the Jews at this time, at that time, that God has spoken and delivered a word. And so it is only through them, through that word, that we can actually find out what the truth is. So it's the same then for us. We need to go back to the Word, the Word that has been given to us. That is what we are to use and have that as the lens by which we interpret the world. Do not interpret the world primarily by your traditions. Do not interpret the world primarily by the ways of your fathers. The ways of your fathers might have some truth in them, but the ways of your fathers must always be tested against the living Word of God. And I wanna, I wanna push this point a little bit further, friends. Christians talk a lot about discernment, and we should discern things, true. But what lens are you using to discern? When we talk about discernment, we, we talk a lot about discernment, but, but what lens are you using to discern things? Are you using your gut? Just, just are you using your gut? Just, yes, it's a, in my gut, I don't feel this. Is that the lens you're gonna use? you use your brain the way that you're able to put things together well it's just logically for me this does not feel logical so therefore I'm not going to go there is that the highest standard the highest authority to use to discern something i don't like this i'm not i'm not i'm not a fan of things going in this way okay so your likes and dislikes are the test for truth your feelings is that what we're going to use no 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 you know i i just i just don't feel that God would, would have me unhappy. I just, I just don't feel that God would have me walk this road that's really rough. As I'm trying to discern the situation right now, this is the devil's doing. God would never take me through this hard situation. Oh, really, no. See, friends, we need to have a biblically faithful worldview so that we can test the things that are around us, and not be motivated by, and not not interpret things by feelings-motivated superstition. There is a superstition that is fueled by feelings and your guts. Don't listen to that. Listen to the Word of God. The final authority must always and ever be what God has revealed. So with that said, be very careful of your traditional worldview. Your traditional worldview needs to be tested. We must come to the Scriptures. And the Scriptures, of course, they point us to Christ. And they correct the errors that we might have made as we seek God for ourselves. They they point us to Christ. And here's the thing about the Scriptures. And I'll tell you why I think people love to end up using their feelings and their own logic, etc. Here's one reason, among many. Here's one. The scriptures are loud about the important things and rather silent on unimportant things. Scriptures are very loud on big, important things, but small things, scripture just doesn't care sometimes. Should you take your school, should you homeschool your child, or should you public school your child, or should you private school your child? Scripture says just make sure that you take care of your child and do what is right by them. Scripture does not dictate. But Tina, we like to major on the minors. That's our issue. We like to get so bogged down on all the small things and make the small things so huge that when, the, when we see the scripture being silent on them, then we start relying a lot on these things, on our feelings, on our logic, and then we take that and then we end up sometimes applying that same way of discerning life. We take that principle and we apply it also sometimes to big things that the scripture is very clear on. So what we need to do is grow the muscle of testing by the word of the Lord and then do not let my feelings and my gut be the litmus test for everybody else. I don't think that you should do that. Show me a chapter and verse. I don't have one. Okay. Okay. Now, you can tell me wisdom, you can talk to me about wisdom, you can, you can give me guidance, you can you can hey, have you thought about this, thought about that, but you cannot say to me, do not do that if you can't show me from the Scripture, or at least show me a very clear biblical principle that I'll be violating. You understand? Do not major so much on the minors and be louder than the Scriptures on things. Be very careful of your traditional world view. All right, so how do the apostles respond to, this, to, the, to the response of the pagans. Look at what the apostles say in verse 14. They, they tore their clothing and they rushed to the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you, proclaiming the good news that you should turn from these worthless things, this worthless worship, this worthless worldview, turn from it to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them, who in generations that are past permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness by doing good, giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying you with food and your hearts with gladness. Well, the apostles say, no, people, we are men like you. We are people with flesh like you. And we have come with a message from the true God of the universe. And this is what he says. You need to stop what you are doing. The ways of your fathers were wrong. They were all wrong. The ways when God in the past left you to your own ways, that's not a positive thing. He's saying that he left them to judgment. They were following their own ways. And and and, And God allowed that for a time. Fine, go your own way. Go into this judgment. But now God is saying... I've had enough of the people that I have made worshiping things that I have made. God is now saying, I've had, I've had enough of it. Now I want all men everywhere to turn and turn from the worthless things, turn from the worthless worship and come and worship me, the true God. Like Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the people have suppressed the knowledge of God and they worship creatures instead of God. And while you might think, wait a second, they're not really worshipping creatures. They've, they've kind of created a nice, you know, they've created nice gods. You know, they live in Mount Olympus. There's a whole bunch of gods that are up there. They're not really worshipping creatures, are they? But think about it, they are. If you delve into Greek mythology, if you just delved into it or re- read it in, in some of the, 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 the old books that have it in them, or just you just look it up you'll see that it sounds very human. I mean, think about this. The the gods, when you think about Greek mythology, the gods in Greek mythology are made in the image of men because the gods of Greek mythology behave like men. The gods of Greek mythology betray one another. The gods of Greek mythology fight wars amongst each other. The gods of Greek mythology impregnate each other and have babies. I mean, this is the actions of human beings. They've made gods in their own image. The gods of Greek mythology participate in all kinds of sexual immorality, including bestiality. These these gods are not gods at all. They're just men who have been given exalted status. They act like humans. When you read it, when you read the Greek mythologies, it sounds entirely human. There's no divinity in it, in, it, in it at all. And Paul is saying, move away from following these things. These things are worthless. They don't, they don't mean anything. That, they're not real. It's time for you to worship the real and living God. And it's the same, not just for Greek mythologies, but all the ways of the world. Animism is the same. It's nonsense when you think about it in depth. Ancestralism, worshipping somebody who is dead, when you think about it for two minutes, makes absolutely no sense. All these things, when you enter into them and understand them, you'll see that these are just the thoughts and wisdom of men, not God. And so that's why Paul says, move away from all of this. But it is interesting that even in the midst of all of that, look at the kindness of God that Paul speaks of Uh, In verse 17, he says, And yet, while you were all going in all these ways, yet God did not leave himself without witness by doing good, giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying you with food and your hearts with gladness. God was so kind that while you were worshipping your own image, worshipping created things, ignoring the God who made you, he still gave you what you needed to live. And what's worse, who did you thank when he gave you what you needed? You thanked your gods, right? When you you had a child, you thanked the goddess of fertility. When you had crops, you thanked the gods, the god of the crops. It's the same here. When we have things, we want to thank people who are dead. All of it, when you think about it, shows us the kindness of God. But why would God be so kind to these people? Does his kindness is just kindness for kindness sake? Well, in one sense we will say God was kind to them in their following of the evil, of the evil ways because God is kind, God is generous, God has common grace. But also we should also mention that in God's plan the reason that God fed them and kept them going and kept them alive was for this moment that they are experiencing right now, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would arrive to them. Why does God uh, bear with those who are, whom he should be destroying? Why does God wait and not destroy them completely? Why does he give them kindness? Those who hate him and act against him is because he wants their children to worship him. He wants the gospel to arrive there. He wants people from every tribe, from every language, from every kindred to come together to be a part of the eternal empire of His Son, Jesus Christ. See, friends, the reason that God is kind to all pagans from, in the history of the world and allowed them and gave them food and satisfied them is because God the Father owes the Lord Jesus a people. God the Father owes the Lord Jesus a people from every tribe. If there is a people that are not represented in the eternal kingdom, God the Father would have, would have not done His duty to His Son. He promised Him a people, and He promised Him a people from everywhere. And so then God then labors, okay, you are not worshiping me. I should be destroying you. I won't, because I want some of you to be in the empire. What does this tell us? This tells us about the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The entirety of history wraps up towards him. If you want a worldview that explains everything, you know how Christians always say Jesus is the answer? This is another one. Jesus is the answer. Why are things happening because of Jesus? Everything connects to Jesus. We always say that the entire Bible connects to Jesus, but. The entirety of existence connects to Jesus. Christ is the king at the end of the road. He is the originator at the beginning of the road. He is the light on the side of the road. He is the road itself. Everything is in him, for him, toward him. He is the culmination of all of history. And so God, in his, in his mercy to the pagans, and in his love for his son, ensures that these pagans survive, such that this moment when Barnabas and Paul comes, this moment actually happens. It's the same for you, my friend. It's exactly the same for you. Why are you here? Why are you hearing the gospel? How is it that the gospel still comes to you? After all your sin, you have, you have hated God. You have offended God multiple times, over and over again. Why has God still fed you? Look at you. You look nice. Look at you. You look nice. Your hair is combed. You're you're alive. Why has God kept you? So that you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached. And you can even say it in the opposite. If you've had a hard life, rough life, and things have happened this way and that. And you, 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 are, you have lost despair. Why am I still alive? Why don't you just kill me? If you're going to take me through all of this, you might as well just kill me. Listen to me. Listen to me. It is for this moment. So that you can come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent while there is still time. Repent and come to Christ. And, he will, and, and Christ will raise you from the dead like he took up his life after he died that's what everything is about it's all leading up to this moment it's that's the story that we have here and that's the story for us well in briefly we have to come to the table so briefly the people don't like this response the people are, are very unhappy about what he is saying so look at what look at what they say uh, uh, in verse 18, and although they said these things, after the apostles said these things, only with difficulty did they dissuade the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him outside the city, thinking that he was dead. But after the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the city, and on the next day he departed with Barnabas for Derb. I want you to think about what's happening here. They don't like his response. The, the, the apostles are saying, don't worship us, and they fight with them. It takes difficulty to stop them from worshiping them. And so then, later on, Jews come from these other places where the Jews that were that were chasing them out, they come from Antioch, from Iconium. They arrive here, and they quickly touch the crowds and say, so you see, these guys actually, we don't know, we're not told exactly what they said, but whatever they said is so swift and so powerful that it's, it just led these people to come to this point. If you won't let us worship you, we'll kill you. That's what happened. Okay, you won't let us worship you, we'll kill you. This is, look at what, this is what's happening. What, what do you think these guys said when they came to them from Antioch and Iconium? They came to them and they came, and, and I want you to listen and think about who it is that's coming. The person that's coming is Jews who know the truth. And they are coming to people. They're, they're coming to people who are dead in their sins. They're coming to people who they would not even eat with. These Jews, when they're coming to these, these Gentiles, they'll never eat with them. They don't, they don't even think about their person. Who, they call them dogs. But for a purpose, they will use them and rouse them up as a crowd in order to eliminate this enemy that they have. This crowd here is not seeing how used they are being, how much they are being used. But, but more to the point, there is something in our worship. There's some powerful thing in our worship. When we want to worship something so bad, this shows us that we will do anything for the gods that we have. These guys, yesterday, wanted to kill them. But because the apostles are saying, we're not Zeus, we're not Hermes, these things are worthless, they're not affirming their religion, they're not saying that you guys are on the right path, they're not doing any of that, they're just saying, this is all nonsense, leave it, come to the Lord Jesus Christ, then they are easily swayed there the following day they want to kill them. What are you willing to do for your gods? The things that you worship? We've spoken about this also when we looked at the book of Leviticus. That we, we desire and one thing so much that we're willing to do whatever for them. What are you willing to do for your gods? How much are you willing to close your ears to the truth so that you can continue worshipping the thing that you want to worship? You see how dangerous worship is? If you worship the wrong thing, it will land you dead. Because what these people are doing, we're seeing here that the, 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 they're they, they stoning Paul Leaving him thinking that he is dead, but really what's happening here is that they're the ones who are staying dead. Because Paul, Paul rises up immediately, or at least in the way that, the, the, the way that Luke writes, it's the disciples comes around him, probably pray, and he rises up. So Paul is fine. Even though you might stone him, he's going to live because he's in Christ. But you who have now stopped listening to Paul, you are the ones who are actually dead. So where are you closing your ears, listening to the Word of God, and pursuing the thing that you want to worship? Watch yourself, friend. Watch yourself. It will leave you dead. And if you die at that thing, and you don't repent of that de- if you don't repent of this, you don't leave this idol, your death will be without a resurrection. There will be nobody standing around you to, st- to, to get you up. You will die and stay dead. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ because of money, because of alcohol, because of sex. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ because of seeking fame and honor. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ for anything, any number of things that people worship today. Think of what, what is it that people worship? What are the things that people are, what are the things that people are after? Promotions, greed, success. If you if you reject Christ for those things, Those things will leave you dead. Repent, friends. Repent and come to the Lord Jesus Christ while there is still time. Repent of these dead things, of these ways of your fathers, of these ways of the people today. Repent of them. They have no life in them. They are just a fleeting vapor. The only thing, the only place where there is life in Christ is in Christ. The passage begins with a lame man whose legs are healed. It ends with a dead man who's resurrected. Did you see that? This little story in Lystra. There's a lame man who rises up and there's a dead man who rises up. The lame man is a picture of the one who is not in Christ. That if you are in Christ, you will be made alive if you believe in him. But the dead man here at the end of the story is a picture of every Christian. If you are in Christ, though you die, you will live. If you are in Christ, though, though pressure comes on you, though all the darts of the evil one come at you, though it appears as though you are down and out, if you are in Christ, you will live. Just read the next verse. Just read the next verse. So God's people, I'll leave you with this. Be encouraged. Whatever it is that is putting pressure, whatever it is that's opposing you as a child of God because you are a child of God, and even just the pressures of things that come from the the, the deadness of, of the curse because of Adam and Eve and everything that's happening on the earth and it's coming and it's putting pressure and it's leaving us feeling as though we are dead, you need to know that's not the end of the story. There will be life after. So continue trusting in Christ. Continue holding on to Him. He will resurrect you. The big theme from all of these, and we'll see it again in chapter 17, from a lot of these sermons and a lot of these passages as, as, as Paul and Barnabas are preaching is the reality of the resurrection. It's a huge theme. It's everywhere. That Jesus Christ will raise His people again. Amen. Let's pray. You will raise us again, Lord. You will raise us again. There is, it is not death.